think what has continually surprised us is how the public chooses to interact with things. You know, like an artist may really imagine that something's going to go down one way or that people are going to use what they've built in a certain manner. And it's what other people do when they lay their hands on it that has been really surprising and joyful to witness the interactions. Yeah. Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robert Hodge along with our amazing guests as we explore how people's inner artist and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. Our guests today are Delaney Martin and Taylor Lee Shepard. Delaney Martin is a multimedia installation artist and the co-founder and artistic director of New Orleans Airlift. Taylor Shepard is a sound artist and the technical director of New Orleans Airlift, and one of the founders of Airlift's Musical Architecture Project. New Orleans Airlift is an artist-driven nonprofit organization whose mission is to collaborate, to inspire wonder, connect communities, and foster opportunities through arts education and the creation of experimental public artworks. Music Box Village is the flagship project of New Orleans Airlift. It's a whimsical village of artist-made, interactive, musical houses. A place where play, imagination, experimentation, collaboration, community, and hard work come together. Delaney and Taylor tell us about musical architecture, why it is universal, and how it is a metaphor for a better world. We talk about wingnuts, tinkerers, and inventors, and how through collaboration they can realize something bigger than the sum of their parts. We discuss the importance of intuitive interfaces for making art accessible for everyone. And finally, what artistic expression, technical engineering, and social engineering have in common. Well, welcome to the show, Delaney and Teller. It is so good to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So you folks are founding members of New Orleans Airlift, which uh, I've known about some of the work, the music box through a mutual friend of ours, Elisa Dennis, who told me about it 10 years ago, I guess. And uh, I haven't gotten down to New Orleans to see that one, but was able to, to meet you and visit you up in Prattsville, New York, on one of your, your trips doing some musical architecture. Before we get into too much into our theme, I'd love to you to describe a little bit what musical architecture is and what your project is about for the audience. Because I guess if you can't hear it or see it, you need to maybe uh, try to put some words to it. So, you know, music and sound and architecture have a, I think sound and architecture have a long history with some really great projects out there. Um, how we define musical architecture for our project is as a playable, performative sort of platform, right? So we live in New Orleans and New Orleans is a city suffused with music, obviously, um, and these this beautiful architecture and old houses and you know, the project sort of was spawned out of those sort of twin pillars of New Orleans culture. And in our city, we have a very performative city. So, you know, while there are many sound and architecture installations that I would say are kind of passive, like you might move through a space, what we do is we perform the architecture. So what we've done is collaborated with dozens and dozens of artists to build artist-built individual musical houses, we call them. Um, and these little houses, which, you know, might resemble an old swamp shack or something a little bit more 
wild or different, but nothing, nothing so wild as to sort of be an obscure kind of architecture, right? It's all stuff that you look like, you could look at it and you could build yourself or you could imagine building. And each one of these little structures is an instrument. We try to kind of treat our, our village of musical houses as an orchestra of sorts. So most houses have one or two things that they do, you know what I mean? So it's not like every single house is a giant playable band. It's more like, oh, over here we have our percussion house and over here we have a string-based house and over here we have a whistling, whirling house and all these different sounds come together and these houses come together in about one acre of a little village here in New Orleans. The project is evolving. We're always building new musical houses. We're always asking artists for their interpretation of musical architecture. But what we ask of these houses is that audience could see somebody performing in them. So they're very gestural, might be like a big door you slide back and forth as in Alyssa Dennis's house with Frenchie Batmangar. It's kind of like a slide guitar door or whatever the case may be. But, you know, we really want them to be spaces for interactive play, but also real ability to be part of a performance. Does that make any sense? You need more descriptions. <laughs> <laughs> we can try it in every way. The Music Box Village is a collection of artist-built houses. There's about 15 of them in the current iteration here in New Orleans. Uh, some of them are built in collaboration. Most of them are built in collaboration with one, two, three, four, sometimes even more artists. And um, they comprise like a sort of a little ring of houses that people can sit amongst, sit on the stoops as they get played by people in performance, or they can go there with their families and interact with them on their own. Mm -hmm. It's a village of musical houses. Well, that's a great description. And you mentioned that it's put together by multiple people through collaborations and you say kind of artists, but uh, you know, it, we've seen kind of written about it. It can be carpenters, blacksmiths, architects, uh, sound artists, tinkerers. How do you get that kind of that such a diverse and weird group together to build these kind of things and, and, and produce? It sounds a little chaotic and maybe uh, creative and chaotic. We, we do a lot of, uh, we call them outposts, you know, like when we met you in Prattsville, that was one of our outpost projects where we, uh, we go to a place and kind of work with the materials that we find there and the kind of with the site. And also we end up working with a lot of people that we find in these places. And we found that when we go to a town and kind of, you know, make it announce that we're trying to do this thing, we attract all the wing nuts. Like they all come and they're just wonderful, wild ideas and people and skills flying around. And it really makes, it makes these things happen. It makes the event when we, when we do these, the performances like in another place, it makes the event really special and electric with, with all kinds of, uh, all kinds of, alien life you know it's really it's really fun <laughs> and it's really and it's a controlled there's a chaos but it's a, you know it's a controlled chaos delaney keeps a has a curatorial kind of grip on this thing that we really try to keep it continue on through all of the projects right here yeah yeah and you know when we first had the idea for the project which was not entirely our idea it was a collaboration with also the artist swoon and um, our other co-founder, Jay, really, you know, it was a falling down Creole cottage that inspired this. He was like, maybe, maybe there could be a performance space in this old house in my backyard, you know, and then, mm -hmm. oh, it's not just performers in the house, it's performing the house. So, but we have, you know, been the core elaborators on this idea. But when we first came to it, 
this notion of tinkerers and inventors uh, was something I was really excited about because New Orleans is, of course, you know, world renowned for our music culture, much of it traditional, much of it kind of folk based. And uh, when I when this project happened, I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun for the tinkerer, inventor, unsung hero class of New Orleans. People like Taylor, number one, but also, you know, some other well-known people like Quintron, who is uh, a performer, but known for a lot of his musical inventions. So I, I was immediately very excited that this project was going to tap into this particular subset of New Orleans culture. So you mentioned that Music Box Village has evolved, has been evolving in the past 10 years. And but also you said there's a kind of a curatorial vision. How much has this been planned versus evolved? And has anything surprised you? You know, our, our broader organization, Airlift um, Music Box, is one of our projects. It's definitely our successful one with legs. But our general framework is to make a framework, actually. Our general way, our methodology is to, as artists ourselves, make a creative framework that other people can easily find their way into and have really strong voices and not feel, you know, have some some guardrails, but not, you know, real rules. I'd say the Curio concept has been pretty tight from, from day one in the sense that, you know, over the years, people have come to me and been like, I want to make a magical loom or, I mean, not magical, a musical loom. And they'll tell me some great idea. And I, you know, it's a very nice idea, but I'm like, we are a village. We make houses. Like, this is what we're doing because it's, you know, it's a kind of beautiful metaphor that you can play with in lots of ways around a harmonious little town. Right. You know? Um, So I've been pretty strong in the the curatorial constraints, but within it, there's a lot of freedom. Um, But the project has evolved. You know, the the project we saw you guys, we met you guys at was the first time we were building musical architecture into an actual house, surprisingly. But we've been doing these sort of installations of these artists built houses. So that was an evolution. But I think what has continually surprised us is how the public chooses to interact with things. You know, like artists may really imagine something's going to go down one way or that people are going to, you know, use what they've built in a certain manner. And it's what other people do when they lay their hands on it that has been really surprising and joyful to witness the interactions. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned the, uh, the inventor tinkerer class, um, uh, the unsung heroes, which I like how you, you put that. And, and is that because it, the people coming to it aren't particularly coming with the pedigreed engineering degree or the pedigreed. Uh, so it, it's these people who are just coming with, you know, a, a lot of the, like Delaney was saying before that this, this tinkerer class, you know, within our, our original New Orleans build of this thing, it was a lot of, you know, we'd all been doing like construction for years or making like making weird noise music or something and, or, uh, you know, working on old cars and bicycles and also plumbing and electrical and framing houses, you know, and all these things, all things, all these things came together in this project in a way that, uh, that was seamless. Was, we're all taking our the sum of our skills, kind of, and creating this thing. And by doing this together, kind of growing all of these, growing all of these skills, and having like a you know hive mind engineering DIY engineering thing going on, which mm-hmm. was like really we we all accomplished a lot more than we thought we were going to be able to just by all being there. And all those skills were were just were just there, ready for the use between all these people. And, uh, and that, that, that continues, you know, like mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, 
I, I largely maintain and develop the instruments and the, the sound design of the thing. Um, every day I'm out there doing that and always learning something new. My, one of my guys that's like, what if we try this, you know? And like, hey, it worked. Or a visitor who said, I'm pretty good at that stuff. Let me look at it, you know? And we, mm-hmm. um, something special about it that there, cause there's no, there's no standard of engineering there, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. there's, we just, <laughs> we just made, made it all, you know? Surprisingly, it largely works. <laughs> it does it. It works all the time. <laughs> well, you say there's no standard of engineering. One but, thing but as, I- as, <laughs> as a standard, as an engineering standard, I'm saying like nobody was, uh, there's no actual engineering pedigree coming to this yeah. thing. We just made it. Up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our standard is that it has to work. So in the very original, there, there was this tinkerer class that we really wanted to celebrate. Some people are excellent at their tinkering and, and, no one around the world for it a couple of them but there was other this also this just kind of group of of people that I saw experimenting all the time but always just sort of stopping short of really putting their piece over the edge just through a kind of maybe like a lack of professionalism or just like will to power through to that point and so you know when we did the very first installation we were conscious about bringing some you know some people in who really did push their skill set, like Aaron Taylor Kuffner, who you might know from Brooklyn, who does a gamelatron. He does very like robotic, precise gamelon based things. But he was just somebody who, you know, I was like, it'll be great for so-and-so to be working alongside this guy who's, you know, not cutting any corners and not has fabricated all his own pieces and um, has, you know, similar skill sets, but just had, had pushed a little bit harder. So that, that was kind of part of the original impetus and some of what was going on. Um, but, you know, at this point now we do have Taylor on staff and we have um, another team member, Christian Rapal and Taylor is sort of the more technical, uh, electrical, mechanical side. And Christian is structural uh, builder guy. And, you know, many people come into the picture. Alyssa Dennis is a great example, actually, because she was doing very beautiful um, illustrations and then architectural models of sort of imaginary architectures that were just so Mm -hmm. gorgeous and we knew her down here when she was at Tulane um, and then she went to New York and we were thinking about artists we love to work with and what we'd like some of these houses to look like you know Alyssa came to mind but she's you know she's not a structural builder she was working on paper and in these models and so we were able to work with her and our lead builder to extrapolate, you know, her kind of theoretical design into something structural. And then, so we built the frame for her and then, you know, we brought it to Tampa, Florida, actually in a project, not post project. And she was able to, of course, she's very handy. She was able to do all the cladding and put all her artistic touches on it and make it extremely beautiful, but it was deeply collaborative, you know, in that way. And then Ranjit Bhatnagar, who was the sound artist on her house, is a genius maker, um, but he tends to make things that are kind of not particularly durable. They're, you know, fun little experiments, something you might see at a sound art show, but you don't really touch or interact with overly. And so, you know, he worked with Taylor to be like, how do we make this more robust? How do we take this idea and make it more robust? So we don't have... I don't have engineer and background and people have kind of increased their, their, you know, on our, our team increased their skill sets and, you know, ever learning, but we do have this collaborative practice that can allow a lot of people who might not normally, I mean, nobody just builds musical houses as a practice, right. But people who 
might not think they have all the skill sets, like we kind of meet them where they are and work all together to, to realize something that's bigger than the sum of their parts. At least some of it sounds like you're pairing up, as you said, complementary skill sets, almost from like the artistic side and the, the more practical engineering side to, to take an artistic vision uh, uh, into fruition. Yeah, very much. Yeah, and, and to make it a really broad group of people who can move into that space. So yeah, like you say, you know, Swoon, who's, you know, world-class famous museum artist, worked with a man many years her senior who is a blacksmith here in town and, you know, comes from a long blacksmithing tradition. And so bringing people together who might not normally, let alone work together, encounter each other is a big part of, of the project for us as well. Um, so yeah, it's kind of about building bridges and introducing people and making unlikely collaborations. And, you know, that applies to the house builders, but also the musicians that who might be working on a particular performance together yeah. as well. I love it. I love it. Yeah. The complementary skill set and also one of the ones you, examples you gave earlier, almost sounded almost like a, a mentoring pairing. So you, you were, you're learning from someone who's maybe pushed it, you're doing something similar but learning how you could push your similar work to that level, which is great. Yeah. Which speaks a lot to community. You're, you're obviously building a, a large network and community of artists who are collaborating on this and, uh, and you go into other communities and have gone into other communities like Prattville and other places to, to uh, do uh, the airlifts, as you say, bring your, your vision and, and skills there. What, what's the kind of hope, for those communities when you, when you do this, is it to kind of spread this kind of ethos and, and vision similarly and, and kind of seed it or uh, millions of music box villages all over the world? Yeah. You know, that we've never been like, we need to make franchises all over the place. <laughs> uh, the very first one though was extremely charming. Uh, we'd done our, our, thing in new orleans and you know i had garnered a fair amount of attention um that first run of, of it was you know it's just so like revelatory and everybody loved it so much and ended up in a bunch of high profile outlets and uh, a man in kiev who was the ambassador <laughs> to kiev at the time u.s ambassador read an article in smithsonian and asked us to come over and that was our first outpost in kiev ukraine of all places he, he was the cultural liaison for the embassy oh, okay yeah okay but he read he read about us in like a Smithsonian magazine and, and at his office, and he was like, "This is cool. Like, <laughs> um, can you be here in three weeks?" And we kind of just went, it was did it. But, oh wow! But to answer your question though, uh, that project we uh, wasn't trying to franchise. We were like, we we were we walked into that situation and uh, we met all these people. Like I was saying before, like the the wing nuts attracted, you know. I think we got one of our best compliments of our whole, still yet that we've ever had was a woman. Uh, she came in, she came in while we were building and, and checked it out and came in for the, the opening and was there and then came after afterwards when it was just kind of open as an exhibit and uh, and came over and approached uh, Delaney and I and said, uh, I love your project because it does not need any any words to explain what it is like it explains it's universal you know mm -hmm. and uh and that that's i think what we're, the, that's the ethos that we would like to spread is this thing that's beyond beyond words like it, it's hard to describe what it is mm -hmm. if you if you see it you don't need you don't need words for it yeah 
Yeah, there's a certain, you know, there's a magical realism, I think, that underpins the project very much. And um, also an accessibility, you know, like I always say, like, you know, someone like Zaha Hadid is so incredible and but her architecture is a mystery. Like how the hell did you build that, you know? And we instead create something that's very comfortable, recognizable, human but scale, human scale yeah. and has that magical realism. And, you know, what we realized is, okay, we felt very much that we were making a project that was extremely in tribute to New Orleans and our music and architecture and our community cultures. But once we went to Kiev, we were like, oh, this is so universal. Like a musical house makes sense to a lot of people because everyone's had that experience of, you know, a creaking floorboard or the refrigerator buzz that suddenly shuts off and you're like, oh, I've been living with that sound. And so what, whatever the case may be, you know, in New Orleans, it was like, oh, that jazz singer is singing through my, you know, super thin walls again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or the second line parade is coming around the corner with the brass band and pulling me out of my house. But, you know, really the, the magical realism of a musical house, I think is very simple for, for people once it's introduced. And so, you know, we almost never have initiated these projects in other places. People have sort of found out about the project and, and want us to come. And yeah, there's definitely community building that runs through it. And we absolutely, you know, love being in community with people when we go to places. And, you know, it's someplace like Prattsville where you met us is such a small town, you know, that was um, like a relatively, I mean, that was a very small version of what we do, you know? that side because you know it was, it was a small art center but it had so much charm for us and and meeting people I mean you know like people think oh the interesting weirdos are in cities but no <laughs> they're in this rural town too and there was this you know guy Homer and Edna and all these like lovely people that we met but there's a there's a couple of like really democratizing principles about our project which are you don't have to be a musician to engage with it. Of course, if you are, then you can play it really well. But, you know, when you encounter it, we have really pushed back from interfaces that, you know, seem to imply you need some training to perform mm. or to play them, right? Um, so there's a kind of equal playing field for level playing field for, say, like some avant-garde musician and like a little five-year-old kid encountering this interface for the first time. Well, a lot, a lot of what you said there, when I visited you in Prattville, you know, the accessibility of it, the, uh, what I was surprised was, was that there were these other local, as you say, wing not tinkerers, people who were part of it. I thought maybe you'd be kind of airlifting in and, and doing your thing and, and you'd have an audience, but you obviously had a community there of people who were attracted to this um, and want to collaborate, which is great. And I and actually it's funny because when I was I was staying up at another place nearby, and the ho- person that was hosting me is an avant-garde musician, kind of wing nut tinkerer, Bill Brovel, who we did a a session with. Tell us something about you know we say why can't it work this way? We try things and most of it works. And that would seem to be Bill Brovel. He was like because it's like just the fun of trying to make these things, and and if it works, great. And if it doesn't, uh. <laughs> so uh, so there are a lot of those folks out there. So obviously, you've struck a chord. Yeah, uh, well, there's definitely like a very heartwarming element about this project. You know, when we first made it, we were a bunch of people behind a big fence making, you know, with our friends, our art friends, being as weird as we wanted to be, thinking, oh, yeah, there might be a school group that comes here or whatever. But when we opened our doors, the reception of it by all walks of life was 
definitely bowled me over. And I've been making installation art for a long time, but just really seeing a broad, broad, broad community respond to something that's like forever changed my idea of like who my audiences are and what I'm trying to accomplish and the richness of, of you know, community art that does not try to talk down to you or, you know, in no way were we trying to make something palatable <laughs> that wasn't our we're trying to make something overly accessible. We were actually trying to make something quite weird and strange and it ended up working for people on, in, from so many different backgrounds. So it's kind of, it has a heartwarming aspect to this project for sure. Cool. In the technology space, we say it's really hard, very, very hard to make something simple and intuitive. You can think about it all you want, but to, to give somebody an interface and have them easily understand like how to use it um, is not that easy really. For, for you, when you're trying to make these uh, kind of musical interactions as intuitive as possible, what element do you think uh, lends that? Is it the human scale? Is it the music? Or are you like really thinking about like how to trying to figure out how to like make people come in and get how to interact with something or is it just happening, nat- happening naturally? One of, one of the things that we try to do with each of the houses or instruments is to make them part of an orchestra, you know, like the, each one kind of works, doesn't works on its own as a solo instrument, but it fits into the larger town in its place in like a, in the timbres of an orchestra kind of, you know, and that, that's one of the things that makes it not too, it's not too intimidating when you're coming up to it, because this thing really just does one thing, or, you know, maybe it's a percussion, tuned percussion, or it's, has like hidden, hidden strings, like in a, a staircase or a banister or whatever, or a, or tr- like sample triggers on the, on the floor. These kinds of things are all once once you you get them and you realize it's just going to do this one thing. It just it, may, it makes sense, and you're already walking on the stairs, and now the stairs are playing, and you walk up and walk down, and it's going to have a whole thing. You know, ki- kids kids get it. They'll find yeah. They'll find the thing way easier than adults will, you know, and they'll find other things that we, we didn't even intend for it to be usable and, and make them that way, you know. And uh, and maybe that's part of it too, is like having trying to think with like a open, like a child's mind, you know. How how can I how can I how can I approach this thing and make it make it react without breaking it. <laughs> they, try to, they try to break it. People do try to break things, yeah. <laughs> we have this kind of anecdotal thing that we throw around a lot. It really early on, we had a, uh, a lady that lived down the street from our original installation. And she had a niece, or is her niece or her goddaughter, that is uh, autistic, like 24-year-old, kind of non-verbal autistic woman. And she brought her in there... Uh, after hours, one time she's asked, "Can I bring my goddaughter in after hours?" After like, well, there's not a lot of people around, and she brought her in, and, uh, and she kind of walked through the, the space and and found all the interactions of the place and the, you know the feedback of the of the town playing back to her that at the end of the time she was our uh, our, our neighbor just kind of walked her out. She's like, "This was so great, thank you," and just left and came back the next day and said. That she that that young lady was was singing for the rest of the night. She hugged her parents for the first time in years and had just like opened a 
and it was a key for her that opened a door and just like her interaction with the world it's more like the music box than the real world mm, not a beautiful story that that goes a lot to saying what intuition an intuitive interface can can do yeah. you know? absolutely yeah we had a later had like an autistic classroom that ran for maybe like four or five months where the kids came regularly weekly to the thing and we you know, we would love to continue to explore. It was very exciting for them, you know, and we learned actually how, you know, as a staff, the, the teacher, you know, it's like, you don't need to try and talk to them, but if you go and they're going back and forth on the bouncing floors, just get in rhythm next to them. And it's a beautiful way of communicating for mm. sure. Yeah, that's a richness to explore. But, you know, we do fall back on this curatorial concept of musical house. So when you say like, you know, how do you, how do you make these intuitive interfaces? Like Taylor said, you know, we encourage our artists to be like, what would you do? What are gestures that you do in a house? You open doors, you open windows, you walk up and down stairs, you know? Um, so gesture is a big thing for us because you have these unusual sounds coming from a 360 sort of experience. And um, we learned early on that if you're just in a window frame, tinkering fingers real small on something, it's just like, you know, if you're tinkering on a laptop, it doesn't, nobody sees or understands what you're doing. Whereas if you're pulling this big door back and forth and someone hears the sound and then they look for the motion. And so that is a, you know, a key thing that when we're taking proposals and talking through projects with artists, that's very important to us is gesture. So I was bringing up the, uh, the, fact that your your titles are artistic director and technical director and your your kind of professional uh life partnered up as well as personal life partnered up so you must have a unique insight into this mindset of uh, the more technical minded more creative minded maybe and where they kind of come together complement each other where they diverge and have you kind of experienced that you know obviously in your own life but also with all the various collaborators you've come across yeah, I mean, well, tech Taylor is a far more actual technical engineer than I am. I mean, a builder at times, but, you know, I would, I see myself as more of a kind of social engineer and like the engineer of the kind of like broader experiment. Um, but he's obviously not just a technician. He's an artist as well. He's right, right. I, I think that there's, there's only a few little skills that are that separate these things too. As an artist, you're trying to think of a, you know, you have something you're trying to express through through a medium, and uh, and often the it, it only takes a little bit of of like push one way or the other to make this thing say. Delaney tends to take take an idea and push it towards using people to like. Um, the people having people express themselves to express what she's trying to express. Mm. You, know, you know what I'm saying? And like that's an that's a that's an engineering skill in itself. And where where I look at look at the same situation and try to get like these objects to express what I'm trying to express. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they often have like they're just they're they're just avenues. They're both avenues to expression, whether it's a um, whether it's a you know engineering or social engineering, you know? Mm. Yeah. Definitely, I, I made installations kind of very like 
controlled worlds. That was my practice for a long time before the music box. Um, and the music box sort of dovetailed with my desire to go back to New Orleans post-Katrina and, you know, help many artists. I had been living in London, but had lived in New Orleans for a couple of seminal years in the late 90s. And so I just loved the culture there and I loved the people and I was trying to find a way to give back. And so this move to New Orleans and trying to figure out a way to work with other people kind of dovetailed with my installation practice. But I always say about music box, like this is nothing I could ever have made, right? It is really the sum of so many parts. And so, you know, yes, I like really visualize this town coming together, these little houses and all different, you know, heights and things. And they would come together in the symphonic sound. And yes, I could do so very little of that. <laughs> I could do so very little of that actual building myself. I was not a musician. I was not... Like I can build a sculpture, but I'm I'm not going to make a mechanical interface necessarily. So yeah, like what Taylor says about like the my my tools in essence being like the collaborative process and people is very mm -hmm. yeah. Powerful. And then you yeah, know that, that being said, uh, the the Prattsville project, Delaney was in the in the uh, like workspace there, cutting all those chimes with the bandsaw and drill press and do and tuning thing and rigging. Mm -hmm. I've learned to, you know, and got, got your hands dirty here and there. <laughs> Either ear protection or safety glasses. No, I, I, li I like, I like to make things and, you know, okay, I can tune chimes, but I'm just saying like, I'm not like, oh, let me see how I can make this thing. Well, like, it's just not my skill set. It's not my. And then also, you know, like Taylor and I have made several houses together over the years and I will often come with an idea and he will be the one who will figure it out, you know, and add to it and, and, and various things. So his skill set is essential for so much of the stuff that I want to make and don't that. So it's a, it's a nice trade off, you know? And as, as is yours for mine. Oh, <laughs> well, I think that is a great note to finish up on because it certainly seems to be working out in, uh, in many ways in your life. So, uh, all the important ones. So that is great. So, what has been a pleasure, Tony? Any last words and thoughts? Just echo. It's been a pleasure. Amazing stuff. Hey, so Tony, great, Bill. Yeah, this has Good been great. You. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, visiting New Orleans in the future and, uh, and and visiting the village, seeing it oh. on a grand grander scale. Oh, yeah, your please. next road trip. Head yes. south. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> for sure. For sure. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com if you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoy the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people and also hit the subscribe button.